0: Well, today is week number three in our series on the Holy Spirit, so it's kind of front and center for my mind right now and kind of on the tip of my tongue. This is week three. We're looking at uh, various ways the Holy Spirit works and moves and his roles and his functions. The reason is so that when we get back to Ephesians chapters four through six, we'll not be surprised And how he wants to move in us personally and among us corporately. Because we've seen from a larger perspective all that the Holy Spirit of God does. And this week we're going to be looking at his empowering ministry. You could use the word controlling. You possibly could use the word gifting. You could even use the word filling. But I'm going to use the word empowering. Because that's what seems to happen when the Holy Spirit fills people. Now. In light of where we're headed today through a passage in Exodus, let me just simply mention this to you. I think it's important for you to know a couple of names. Their names are Bezalel and Olohiab. or uh, yeah, Olahiab. we'll go with that. Some, some tough names there. Bezalel and Olahiab. Here's why I think those names are important for you to know. They are the first two people in the Bible of which it is said they were filled with the Spirit of God. So if you're going to study things about the Holy Spirit of God, it's helpful to know some of the first things mentioned about the Holy Spirit or people filled by His Spirit. In fact, in Bible study methods, even in hermeneutics, which is preaching methods um, and, and study methods a lot of times, there's this thing called the principle of first mention. And so when you see something mentioned for the first time in the Bible, it's helpful to to ask yourself, okay, what does this say about this item or person or doctrine or concept off the bat? What's mentioned here? And so we're gonna learn some things about the filling of the Spirit by looking at the two people of which it is first said in the entire Bible, they were filled with the Spirit of God. It's in Exodus chapter 35. Take your Bibles and locate that portion of Scripture, would you? And let's look for a few minutes at... The empowering work of the Holy Spirit. I'll begin in verse 30. I'll read through verse 1 of chapter 36. Note this as we begin to read. This is not the first time that this uh, is mentioned in the Bible as far as the narrative. It's the first time it's mentioned to the people of Israel But if you'll back up to chapter 31, you'll notice that God told Moses this very same thing personally. In fact, God told Moses to tell this to the people of Israel. So in chapter 35, he's telling the people of Israel about these two men and their roles and how God fills them. So we're going to pick it up here in chapter 35, verse 30 of Exodus. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, see, the Lord is called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God. You see that phrase? Underline it, mark it, circle it, star it. First time in the Bible, uh, first, first person in the Bible of which this is said. He's filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. Look at verse 32 to devise artistic designs to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him, circle that star and mark that, would you? Similar to the phrase, he has filled him. He has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahizamak of the tribe of Dan. So now we have two people mentioned And how they have been filled with the spirit of God. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver. By any sort of workman or skilled designer. Now verse 1 of chapter 36. Bezalel And and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. Now, I want you to see three facts this morning about the empowering work of the Holy Spirit from this narrative. We'll find that these three facts will actually morph or merge into one simple truth. Here's fact number one for those taking notes. God's Holy Spirit empowers his people. Now, that seems like a basic fact. You may say, well, that's uh, obvious, but that's okay. It's good to state the obvious sometimes. And in this portion of the Old Testament, in this narrative, it is clear that God's Holy Spirit is specifically by name empowering his people. Notice with me how this flows from the singular to the plural, would you? Verses 31 to 34, we see it really about Bezalel. Verse 31, it says, the Spirit of God filled him. Verse 34, inspired him. And then it moves to Aholiab in verse 35, in which it says that the Holy Spirit of God filled them. Notice it changes to a plural pronoun there. And then actually in verse 1 of chapter 36, it moves to more of a collective group. Do you notice that? The phrase is, in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence. So he kind of goes from the small to the larger. Two of them are named. The rest of the group is not named. But all of these craftsmen, these people, they're filled with the Spirit of God. Now, that's an interesting use of the word filled here because I have, and I don't want to say mistakenly. Maybe I can say I have incompletely told you at times that the Holy Spirit didn't come inside people in the, in the Old Testament. I've said that. i said he didn't fill them as in the New Testament. He just came upon them. I don't think that's the best wording. And, and by the way, that's a common type of wording used by many pastors, churches, and our circles. We use the word upon for the Old Testament and in for the New Testament. But I don't think I'm totally comfortable with that language anymore And you know why? Because of these verses here. Can you agree with me that it seems to say here pretty clearly the Holy Spirit was in them and filled them? Would you agree with that? So I thought, well, there's just got to be some better language. I don't think we were wrong before. I think here's the better language that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did fill people. He came in them, but he came in them in temporary ways. He would often come in them and then he would leave. Or you could say he would come upon them and then he would leave. But the real difference is not the in or out like maybe I thought before. The real difference between pre-Pentecost and post-Pentecost would be transient and permanent. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was more temporarily either in or on someone for service. In the New Testament, he's permanent. So if you're tracking with me, nod your head, would you? I think that's a more complete, maybe even say more accurate way to describe the differences in the Holy Spirit's ministry pre-Pentecost and post-Pentecost. And here we see the Holy Spirit in and filling and empowering these Old Testament craftsmen. Now, let me just make sure I make this clear as well. That's a minor difference. Because the major similarity is this point here. God's Holy Spirit is empowering his people. And this is what you see throughout the biblical narrative. God's Holy Spirit empowering his people for works of service. Now there's a lot we don't know about this situation. I'm gonna be very pastorally candid with you. We just don't know a lot about Bezalel and Olahiab. Did they receive these? Uh, skills, and I might even at times today use the word gifts. I know it's not the language of the Old Testament here, but God's Spirit was empowering them, controlling them, filling them for certain tasks. There's a supernatural enablement happening here to some degree, right? Did they receive that suddenly? Like were they one day just like doing this and then they say, oh, I can just now work with iron and, and steel and wood and engrave and embroider. I can do all that. Did it happen that way? Or did it happen maybe more providentially or naturally like over their lifetime where they just as a kid involved in embroidery or stone cutting or metalwork, and it was kind of how they were wired and they just begin to do it and then in the middle of their embroidery or working with iron or stone cutting God empowered them at a specific time even though they were already doing that I, I don't know the text does not tell us is that okay to say in fact in our study group we kind of debated this I did some research later there's a variety of opinions on this Did they kind of get this like zap? Or was it just kind of part of their life? Um, The text does not tell us. Here's what the text tells us. And that's my job to relate to you the, the intent of the text. The text says this, God's spirit empowered them. God's Holy Spirit empowers his people for works of service. So how he does that sometimes and is it through the natural means of maybe how he made you and what he made uh, what you're interested in? Perhaps. Could it be a spontaneous moment in which you're given gifts or talents or abilities that maybe you didn't have before? Possibly. I'm saying this, that in serving the Lord, we need the Holy Spirit's power and that's exactly what he does. Amen, church? We do not serve the Lord or involve ourselves in works of service in our own power. That's futile. We need the power of God. Now, I was asking myself this question throughout this text. What is it that made these moments supernatural? Because when you read the text, you get the impression that suddenly God's Spirit is filling them. Now, maybe they had the talents all along, maybe they didn't, we can debate that. But we do see that God says, I'm gonna fill these people with my spirit for a specific task. That seems to be in that moment at that time. So, what was it that was supernatural? Was it the result of their effort? Was it their actual effort? Those are good questions. Here's what I think is going on. I think something, and and there's probably a spectrum of answers here. I'll just kind of bring you into my own brain here for a minute, which is not a big thing, but it's just a small thing. Here's my own brain's thinking. I think part of the answer to what makes this supernatural is is that suddenly the Holy Spirit of God is using someone and and their abilities for God's purposes. You're gonna see this unfold in the text. But it's like the Holy Spirit now saying, I'm gonna take these these talents, these gifts, these abilities, and I'm going to empower them for something bigger and greater than just what you're doing normally. So just process that, think about it. Could that be what makes this a supernatural moment? Regardless, can we just agree on this, that when the Holy Spirit empowers anyone, that's supernatural, amen? So how it shows up, what it looks like, how long it's been there, we can debate that and have fun talking about it. But I'm thankful there is a supernatural power available for those in the body of Christ, for those in God's family, when it comes to working and serving the Lord. It's from the Holy Spirit. This leads into our second fact. Here's fact number two. God's Holy Spirit empowers his people for his purposes. Now, just as there's many things going on here that we don't know, there's multiple things going on here that we do know. When I say multiple things, I mean multiple purposes. Notice how the S is in parenthesis here, okay? I'm talking about multiple things, such as there seems to be an embroiderer. There seems to be a, an iron worker. There seems to be a stone cutter. There's a lot of variety, wouldn't you agree? There's even different colors. There's purple, there's blue. Uh, Then there's metal. So there's a lot of variety happening and yet there seems to be a singular purpose. So there's multiple purposes all pointing at a singular purpose and you'll know from the text the singular purpose is the construction of the tabernacle. We'll get to that in a moment. But I love the way the author here relays to us that within this, this moment there is lots of variety still aimed in a singular unified fashion. You know, this sounds incredibly similar to how the spirit of God works today when it comes to spiritual gifts. This has a lot of Old Testament ringing uh, of 1 Corinthians uh, 11, 12, 13, and 14, Romans chapter 12, where we see a lot of variety in spiritual gifts. And yet we see them aimed at one goal, the body being edified and the church and, and God being glorified. So here's what I love about this. You find a consistency in the way God works throughout history and time. Here in the Old Testament, yes, his singular purpose at this point was the tabernacle, let's build this. But he gave all kinds of varieties of, of abilities and talents and gifts. The same thing is true in the New Testament within the church. And so I love the way God here has put together Just variety and unity. Of course, the point here is that God gave his spirit to empower these individuals so they could accomplish his will and intent. Among their variety, there was to be unity towards God's intent. Now, in Exodus, it was to build his dwelling place. In Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, it's to be his dwelling place. But both are empowered by God's spirit and it's aimed at God's purpose, which Calls me to remind you, we don't have God's Holy Spirit power for our own purposes. You recall in week one when I mentioned this to you that he's not like, the Holy Spirit's not like our, our personal little power pack, you know? He's not like our own little battery you plug in and say, good, I got my agenda. Man, I'm gonna use the Holy Spirit's power to get done what I wanna get done. That's not the way the Holy Spirit works. And, and you know, I've at times thought that. I don't think my heart was wrong or my motives were, were evil. I just think I was misinformed. It was mainly when I was younger. Uh, I would pray that God would help us win a game. Like in the locker room, I went to a Christian school and so uh, we'd get in the locker room and we'd pray, Lord, help us to win. Like beat the other team. Like what if they were praying, God help us to win. Like you ever thought about that? Like, well, somebody's gonna have a bad prayer life apparently out of this deal, Right? One day, my dad said to me, he goes, you know, I just want to be honest with you, Sonny. He said, I don't don't know that God is that concerned with who wins or loses. I'm like, what? We're God's team. You know, I have all these theologically dumb thoughts, right? He says, I think God's more concerned with how you play and how you use the opportunity for his purposes. But at the time, I just thought we got to win and if we have God on our side, we can't lose, Right? Now, don't go tell your 10th grader this right now, okay? They'll they'll find out soon enough, right? No, I'm kidding. Here's the point. We sometimes try to use God or his Holy Spirit's power for our agenda. That's not why we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit for God's purposes. And this text, even back in Exodus, which is early on in Israel's life, is clear that when God filled those two men and whoever they would teach with the Holy Spirit... It was for his purposes, his purpose, which was the construction of the tabernacle. One other side note here. I'm, I love this text because, apart from the teaching line, when it says that uh, Bezalel and Olahiab were also to teach others, and then those craftsmen were filled with the Spirit, apart from that line, this is a nonverbal narrative. In other words, the gifts and the crafts, the abilities, the talents, whatever word you use there, these are nonverbal things. I love that because often in the church, we tend to magnify verbal gifts. Is that okay to admit and say to you? I don't think that's wrong. Prophecy is the most edifying gift in the church according to 1 Corinthians 14. So we should seek to prophesy. Those are gifts that should be utilized. There's order to that. But I love the way here in this text, God's saying, hey, his spirit filled people who really were involved with with craftsmanship and making things with their hands. In fact, the very first two people mentioned in the Bible as having been filled with the Spirit did not speak at all other than to teach. They mainly were workers with their hands. Aren't you thankful for all the nonverbal and creative gifts that fill the body of Christ? I sure am. Those with artistic talents, with lights or with sound or with art those with gifts that can organize and mobilize people. And I'm so thankful for the variety in the body that still is aimed at a unified singular goal and it's God's purpose. Now, the question in your head may be this. Well, what is God's purpose then? Well, let's take our text. Let's ask ourselves, based on this text, with all the variety mentioned among God's people and his spirit filling them, who were working in this area, what what was God's purpose in this moment? It was to construct the tabernacle. But why is that such a big deal? You find this in verse one of chapter 36. In fact, you find it repeated twice where he says, it's about the tabernacle and you must do it according to all the Lord has commanded. So, So what's the big deal about the tabernacle? Here's the big deal. It was the presence of God. That's the big deal they're building and constructing that which would, and I'm gonna use this phrase correctly, so watch this, house the presence of God locally to his people. So let's go to fact three, now that we understand that. Here's fact number three. God's Holy Spirit empowers his people for his purposes, namely his Presence known. This is God's overwhelming and overarching purpose. His presence known, and we could institute, uh, we could substitute words like felt, seen, understood. We typically choose words that kind of fit how we're made and what we've experienced. The word known is just a word that kind of umbrellas all of those. It is God's desire to be known over the face of the earth. Every nook and cranny of the globe to be imprinted with God's glory. For worshipers from every region and aspect, this is God's passion. You need proof? Here's four verses to help you kind of process the fact that it is and always has been God's purpose for his presence to be known. Look at Psalm 57:5 for a moment. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory be over all the earth. God's thinking globally, isn't he? Habakkuk 2:14 is one of my favorites. For the Earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God envisions a time in which there will be no space or place that is absent from the knowledge of His glory. Amen. Beautiful picture of, of God's heartbeat, of his end game, of His purpose. Isaiah 11:9. We continue to echo this truth. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then Psalm 108, five again, just the echoing refrain, be exalted, O God, above the heavens and let your glory be over all the earth. And there are more than these four. I'm just laying these four out to you to show you. It is God's intent and desire. It's his purpose to be known, for his presence to be understood Known, seen, felt, observed. So in light of these verses, what we've seen in Exodus, I think we should take all of our facts and just kind of morph them into a simple take-home truth. And you've already seen it once, but I want you to say it with me now. It's really fact number three, just re, uh, retitled, we'll call it. But this is really what we see in Exodus 35 and what we see throughout the pages of the biblical storyline. Say it with me, would you? God's Holy Spirit empowers his people for his purposes, his presence known. I mean, you could take that truth and put it right on top of Acts chapter one, verse eight, couldn't you? You'll be my witnesses both in Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. What's God after? His presence known over the whole globe. You could take this as to the Tower of Babel, when they wanted to unify and only have one language. God said, "No, I want everyone to know." And He gave multiple languages and split them up on purpose, so that the whole globe be filled with His, with his glory. Because I hope you're seeing the picture here: that God's Holy Spirit is the empowering agent for God's ultimate vision of seeing His glory go to the ends of the earth. This is why. God empowers his people. In this case, Exodus 35, it was to build the sanctuary because that's where God's presence was. But as we move forward in the biblical storyline and the meta-narrative, we see that this continues to be the principle even though it's done in different ways. God empowering his people to make his presence known. And if I could just pause here and speak to every single person in this room in a very applicable way, let me say this. This is exactly why every job and every skill matters. You see, often, and I mentioned, I referenced this earlier. We we tend to kind of glamorize and even escalate, you know, the preacher, missionary, evangelist, you know. But the truth is, every skill and job matters because every single place that you're going, you need to bring the presence of God to bear upon that place. That's right. Every banker, every builder, every baker, I want you to be filled with the spirit of God so that you're bringing God's presence to bear upon that place. I mean, name your occupation, name your skill, Pick your profession. We need spirit-filled fill-in-the-blank. Why? Because the presence of God needs to be brought to bear upon that area. We were talking about this, in fact, at our study group. For those that are new, we meet weekly to discuss future texts that we're preaching from. It's our teaching pastors and any elder that wants to come. We also discuss it at elders' meetings too, and so I got to get double duty on those. It's a lot of fun. At one of those environments, uh, I looked at Edgar, and I kind of grinned and nudged him, and, and I said, so this means, Edgar, that, that when you were at Corteva, your, your real bottom line wasn't the dollar. It wasn't just to make money for Corteva. He kind of laughed. He said, it, it, it wasn't. Don't tell them that, right? <laughs> but, but the truth is, he's there to bring God's presence to bear upon those with whom he interacts, to be a spiritual, godly influence. And the same thing's true for you in your work. That's why every skill and every job matters. All work is sacred. What you do matters, is important. And so be filled with the Spirit. Be empowered by God for when you go to work tomorrow. They need the presence of God there. And we do this in intentional ways as well. We've seen the Lord just raise up a number of people with different kinds of skills to live in closed areas and closed countries. We have one going off this November to an area as a nurse. We've got a graphic artist in another area that's closed. We've got a mechanic in another part of the world. It's closed country. You know, in, in years past, you would have probably only sent those who were quote unquote preachers. But when country, country started closing, we had to think of creative, accessible ways. Aren't you thankful that there are all kinds of gifts and skills and abilities, mechanics, teachers, nurses, bankers, doctors, bakers, retail, food, service, Man, and all of those, they need people working in them and using them who are filled with the Spirit of God. Why? So that God's presence is brought to bear in every environment, every nook and cranny and crevice, crevice across the globe. You see what this is really, is making sure that, watch this church, that your life's ladder leans against the wall that matters. That's what's happening here. You could take that same phrase back to Exodus 35. Suddenly the ironsmiths and the metal workers and the embroiderers, they're they're leaning their life against the wall that matters. We're constructing the housing for God. So if your job is to oversee the finance of the company and to make money, man, be generous with that for God's purposes. If you fix cars, if you help fix people's health, if you teach people, again, I can't name every occupation profession, but would you lean that against God's wall? Because at the end of time, that's the wall that matters. His presence being known in every crevice of the globe. Now, we say sometimes around here that that's God's passion, and so that should be our mission. My question to you is Is God's passion your mission? I got an email last week from a lady in our church who said, Todd, God's passion's my mission but she told me that after she confessed to not really liking that at first. She goes, it seems like we hear that a lot at First Family. And at times I was frustrated, like, man, we just continually be t- or told all the time to share the gospel, be a witness, reach out. And she goes, I was, found myself frustrated, but not at you or the leaders or the church, but just like, why do I not like to hear that? She goes, I knew it was a command. I know it's God's heart, but I didn't like it. And she said, she asked the Lord to tell her why. And guess what God did? He told her why. She said, the Lord told me it's because you're afraid to do it. And so you're trying to kind of kick against what you're actually afraid of. And she says, hearing that about the same time that I heard about a mission opportunity to be involved in medical work in Malawi, she goes, I just thought, well, I'm going to take the first step and I'm just going to do something that's out of my comfort zone And I'm gonna kind of share the gospel, help with God's purposes in Malawi through my nursing skills. And so she signed up to go to Malawi in a few weeks to work as a nurse and to help there. And she goes, Todd, the peace that came over my heart and the gratitude that our church now, not now, that our church is continually emphasizing God's heart for the nation. She goes, now I kind of get it. Because she's now putting her energies into that in a way that's, before she was just afraid of it. So I want to encourage you as you continue to hear our church call for a reproducing, multiplying kind of culture, for a heart for the nations. Ask yourself, how am I leaning the life of uh, the ladder of my life against that wall? And there's a lot of variety in that. Amen, church? Not everyone should go. In fact, not all of you should go. Some of you should stay. And work your jobs and do what you do on this side so that we can support those who do go. But when you put it all together, man, God's putting together a great army of people for his purposes. And his purpose singularly is that his presence be known across the earth. Man, I'm so hungry to see how God will do more of that. I'm jazzed. I'm stoked to see how God's Holy Spirit will empower us in all of our unique ways, in a variety of professions and occupations for his end purpose. Because it's my heart like yours. It's our heart to see God's name glorified. Amen, church? That's what we're after. We want him to be famous. His presence known. Let me close with just one more convincing jog. Because you may be saying, Todd, I'm not buying it yet. I'm just not totally convinced that all of my life should lean against the ladder, or against the wall of God's presence being known across the earth. Like, is that really the point? Is, should I just really invest in that with my resources and talents and abilities and activities and energies, really? Yes. Amen, there's a good answer right there, yes. <laughs> Let me jog you through in 60 seconds. A biblical chronology of God's presence And in 60 seconds, I think I'll have you sold. It started in the garden, didn't it? God was with man. Later, we see him with his children in a pillar of fire and a cloud. Remember that? He was with them. Then there was a tabernacle built so he could be with them. In fact, the tabernacle in the wilderness was designed to be the very center of camp and all of the different tribes would face the tabernacle. It was God's desire to be in the midst of his people. That led to the temple. And of course, you know the outer court and the holy place and the holy of holies, the Ark of the Covenant, God's dwelling place among his people. But all of those just pointed to something bigger and greater, which was God in the flesh. And Jesus Christ, when he came centuries later, fulfilled every bit of the prophecies and typologies and symbols and pointers that were from the temple and all the different uh, characters. They all put into Christ and he fulfilled every one of them. In fact, here's how fulfilling he was of all those. When John talks about the coming of Christ to be with us, he used the word tabernacle. He said, God dwelled among us and we beheld his glory. The the glory of the father, full of grace and truth. The word dwelled is the word tabernacle. John was making a strong allusion to the Old Testament saying, God has always desired to be with you. Now he's with you in the ultimate fashion. It's God in flesh among us. He's tabernacling here with us. Jesus lived and he died. He was raised again. The only qualifying substitutionary sacrifice for our sins was Jesus Christ. He gave his life, was buried. God raised him by the power of the Spirit. And then he ascended. And when he ascended, the Bible says that he left and sent us the Holy Spirit, which would be in us and with us forever. And then we learned that the Holy Spirit in us, that's really the temple of God. That's the presence of God. We are the tabernacle. That's right. So everywhere you go, You're taking God's presence. And what is the mission of Jesus before he left? He told his disciples, he breathed on them, right? Said, receive the Holy Spirit. And he sent them to make disciples of all nations. So guess what, church? You are God's presence. And when you leave here, when you're out ministering and serving, do so in the power of God. Of the Holy Spirit, so that God's presence is known. That's why the Holy Spirit now in us forever, that's an advantage. That's what Jesus said. It's to your advantage that I go away, he told his disciples. Why? Because before it was restricted to time and place, one locale. But now with the Holy Spirit in us, man, it is globally distributed. That's what God's after. And that's what the Holy Spirit will empower. God's people for His purposes, namely His presence known. Would you pray with me for God to fill us and empower us to that end? We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.